calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hello. Welcome to the Fantasy Magazine Story Podcast. Fantasy Magazine is edited by Christy Yant and Arlie Sorg. Our podcast is produced by Skyboat Media. In this episode, we will hear To Look Forward by Osahon Izeyamo, narrated by Janina Edwards. This work is copyright 2020. Osahon Izeyamo is a Nigerian writer of speculative fiction. He is a graduate of the Alpha Young Writers Workshop and a current attendee of the IWP Summer Institute pre-program. He has been published, or is about to be, in magazines such as Clark's World, The Dark, Faya, and Strange Horizons. You can find him online at OSAHON4545. So, prepare to let your mind wander. We've got a fantasy for you. To Look Forward by Osahan Ize Iyamo We are the ones who dare. Back and forth, our hair whipping over, our hearts full of joy. Our bodies burn bright and clean and crisp, glistening when we reach the sun. A healthy tan has coated our skin, our foreheads drip with sweat, our palms firm and slick. We are, over and over again, up in the air, not known to each other, but known to the sky. Mid-jump, mid-action, mid-reaction, mid-air, always there, on rusted swings, on creaking chains, on hot sun days, back and forth and over once again. Miriam has thrown her brown swing bench over the faded blue bars that make the swing set, and she sits higher than us all. Her chains are roped around the bars like a prison, but she swings faster than everyone, and her face looks free. She's bragged to have swung so far and jumped so high that she's gone off her seat and into the sun. Inside the sun, she was coated thick with an iridescence that didn't allow her to burn. What you get from transcending time and talent and skill— Miriam didn't burn. She glistened, 
feeling around the ball of flames before she broke out into a dance. Her internal clock was ticking, and she knew it would not be long before her luminance faded, and she would be nothing. No time, no talent, no skill. So therefore, burnt to a crisp. She knew she had to savor her few minutes in the sun, stepping over the bones of swingers like her, who'd outstayed their minutes, who'd spent too much time. The sun is a vast amount of golden treasure, a land that never ends, and, oh, Miriam wanted to see it all. She wanted to stick her fingerprints into the core that is as soft as a calm heart's beating and sharp as hard, well-steeped tea. She wanted to spin around sunspots, daring the whips of danger from flares and ultraviolet rays that came her way. But no time, no time, and only when she felt the heat did Miriam's eyes widen, and so she dove down right back to earth, iridescence almost out, imagination still free. Miriam tells us her stories. She looks older now that she's been to the sun, more experienced. She looks freer, too free, eyes not on earth but on what lies over and what lies under. It's clear she wants to live in the sun, in her every breath, by her heart's beating, by that look in her eye. You would know. She takes her brothers to our park in Ring Road, our spot at the back of school where swings lie. Her brothers are small and thin, with eyes glued to their phones and not to the sky. Her brothers are six, mean, pulling my hair, biting my skin. Miriam's brothers hate the swing. They go too far and crash and burn, and I laugh at them for failing. But then they all look at me. The whole family falls. I know Miriam must be cross with me, but I just couldn't help myself. Her brothers suck. They should fail. They did, and immediately after they start crying. Snot runs down their noses, and their knees are bruised, and Miriam makes them not snitch to her overprotective mother by downloading a new puzzle game on their phones. Miriam does it all. Miriam has reached the sun. Her brothers will never follow her to the sun, Miriam tells me, at her home, when she puts the twins in their rooms and we're riding our bikes. My bike is a hot pink BMX, and hers is frail and blue, always shaking like a chihuahua. Our bikes will never be swings, will never be as easy as back and forth to us, over and over again, towards the sun. But still, we like the exhilaration once more, hearts pounding, full of thrill, palms firm but slick. She says it with a sadness, that to the sun she will go alone, not with her family, her loves. Miriam must sever all her ties with earth, never call and go the distance. Miriam is swinging towards a destination, a future figured out, all while I can't even answer my mother when she holds the senior school form that asks, science or social science, science or art, one or the other, but ultimately, science or social science. And then there's art. But I could never do that, because ultimately, those are for people with wind between their fingers and stories that are special. Sometimes I think Miriam has forgotten about me and her adventures, I wonder to myself if I am just her soap dispenser, her coat rack, her hand towel. Good for use, in this case. Then, when unneeded, forever in a state of disuse. Science or social science? 
my mother asked me for the first time a month ago, suddenly, when I entered the car. It was after I'd just finished swinging at our school's playground, and I felt so out of place. It was just after a bad French revision class at school, and after accidentally tripping on the broken staircase near art class, falling to the ground, which made everyone notice me. It was after my friends told me stories of their adventures while we were all on swings, and I had none of my own to tell, and no legacies to keep. My mother waited for an answer, and in response my iridescence died. Small as it was, it went away for the moment, and I was left with only the cold that comes right after a rain. "'Well?' she asked, looking at me from the driver's seat, while fear filled within me. It was too soon, and too great an ask. I'd been ignoring the signs of junior school graduation all this time, but now my mother had brought it to the surface. She brought the glaring question to light. Science or art or social science? I can imagine myself in all of these worlds. I pass all the classes. I ace all their subjects. I know them all. Science, where I can join Miriam and Funka in their knowledge, and I can do research and laboratory work, excelling in the knowledge of this world. Social science, where I can pass, and I could begin to understand the economics of the world, the opportunity costs and hard choices. Art, where I can try to join Ebuka in his wildness and creativity, where I can try to listen to the stories of the earth. But what else can it offer me, when I can't do anything creative or special? These choices... They make my life, my future, what I will learn, where I will go. How does one decide? How does one even grow up? I don't know. I can't. Ebuka is a grandmaster showman. Stunts mid-air, kisses to the crowd. Who will watch him do his death-defying sequences at the back of school when he's supposed to be in class, or the smallest park on the busiest road? Nobody except us, while we swing still, while Ebuka goes high and throws himself into a pose mid-air, landing crooked but not bad enough to fall, while Ebuka stands on top of a creaking swing and up and up he goes. His clothes are always stained with dust and dirt and mud and blood, but with that glowing smile of his, you could never tell. Ebuka has caged his power inside jars and gels, rubbed his talents on his palms, and thrown said shine into his hair. His afro runs wild, but with a calculated practicality. Hairstyles that make all the boys in my set go, ooh, and ah, where he goes. Ebuka has knelt several times, in the principal's office, in the auditorium, and in the halls. He has been threatened with suspension for skipping classes, for hair that grows too long. He has been humiliated, insulted, despised spat on. They can stay pissed. His iridescence enters him through his hair, nice and slick, and then all through his body. When he swings and laughs and dares all with his radiant hair, his brightness can't contain him, and so he explodes into pieces. He's gore, then dust, then light, like the sun, and then Ebuka travels. His arms have gone to the north, legs to the south, teeth to the west, the dust that is his arms has waved to us from Antarctica like a holiday postcard, and his teeth dust have bitten into donuts in America. When his power fades, all his dust properties collect together, as if gathered into a pile by a broom, 
as though pulled like iron to a magnet, and he becomes a whole Ebuka again. Ebuka says swinging is not the end game, just the practice stage. He has eyes on acrobatics, the Olympics, the dance halls of the century, while his father has eyes on Ebuka becoming the CEO of Genta Corporation, all in due time. I have visited Ebuka's sleek yellow house and big fertile compound and heard the strain in Ebuka's and his father's voices when they both discuss the future at the dining room table. They have different dreams, clashing perspectives. One day, Ebuka will swing, and we will not know he has made an agreement with the wind. He will jump off the set and tumble once more and collect into dust. He will gain an ocean's worth of iridescence, like he plans to do already, and he will begin to explode at will. He will join a circus, or a stadium, or a symposium, and he will dance his heart away. Whether I will see him again is completely up to him. If Ebuka goes away, I am not sure how many will miss him. His father will begin to prep Felicity, his sister, to take over Ginta Corporation, all the way in Abuja. His father will talk about how Ebuka was just a pipe dream, that with those awful grades of his, he could never take over. And now that the boy is gone, the smoke can clear from his eyes. A teacher will shout of Ebuka as a troublemaker in maths class many days after, and they will give a long speech about how the boy destroyed his own destiny with his decisions, career choices, carried away his own future. They will say, Ebuka has run off with cultists, and he will be found in the market with a tire on his head someday. They will tell me that I should rejoice that he has disappeared before his influence could reach me. Good girl, marvelous student, best in everything, but still not sure if she's science or social science or science. I will, undoubtedly, crush my pencil in frustration when I hear all of this. Science or social science? My mother asked me again two weeks ago, when I was laughing in my room and listening to rock music on my headphones. When I was feeling free and airy for the first time, and I had done well on my English Junior WAEC exam, feeling light and comfortable without the weight of hard choices, she burst in with that form, and my iridescence faded almost immediately. My stomach crumbled, and my face sighed, and soon enough I was back to feeling helpless and confused. I'm not sure, I confessed, and my mother looked at me like she didn't know what the word meant. Not sure? How could I be not sure when my friends were so passionate and decisive and bright? How could I be not sure when my friends wanted to be engineers and astronomers and botanists and businessmen? Because she only listened to Ibuka's father and not the light in his eyes when he exploded and danced. How could I, of all people, be not sure? She'd met the group. She knew their stories. My mother told me that my story, too, would be something great. That I, too, would have roaring adventures and mass legacies to keep if I decided on the right career and the right option and the right choice. So, she said once again, science or social science, or science. And I could only shake my head and beg her for more time. There was a day when I swung alone, when Ebuka was at dance practice and Miriam and Funka went to the library and I was by myself, doing nothing, which made my chest hurt. And alone, the only thing I could listen to was silence. And the world looked weary and weighted 
pained and full of decisions that I just couldn't make. Our friendship exists entirely in transitory periods, in waiting for our dreams, in waiting for our escape, in trying to decide. I am the only one plagued entirely by indecision. No dreams, no discussions, no futures at my fingertips. Our friendship exists in me escaping from myself by retreating into my comfort zone, where decisions can't hurt me, where my childhood won't slip out from under me, where I can stay, and no one will notice me because I have no stories, and I'm not special. My iridescence stills my confusion for a while and clouds my head and fills me with my joy. I have to swing, move just enough not to fall because if I stop, the world will crash upon me and then I'll be left wondering, where do I fit in other than listening? Where are my dreams? What are my goals? Where do I lie? Where will I go? And as graduation comes, when will I know? Funka is not always with us, and she is not in our school. She is in the park, swinging still, not trying to go high, but just creaking low enough that you can't even tell when she's begun moving. She has one earring in her ear, and she speaks in whispers, in too often abashed tongues. In her school, Funka is invisible. She has never gotten a report card, a score back on her tests, an invitation to a party, a text from a friend. She has felt through her skin and through her hair, and she is sure she's not a ghost. Not when her heart beats and the sun burns bright and crisp on her skin. Who is she? What's her story? What she's told me has been in whispers, has been low but sharp. She has been told that she is nothing by her aunts when she broke a plate, non-existent, a mistake. She has been bullied, hair pulled out, bitten at the skin. She has been through it, over and over, once again, called a waste of money, a waste of time. Funke has broken down at every simple conversation, down payments of please forgive me rushing out her mouth, she has broken a plate once more and gone outside to fetch a shovel, as if to dig her grave. She has hidden in her cupboards so ants can crawl over her, so she can feel real. I have tried to push her on the swing, but all she does is fall, is fall, is fall. But she gets up again. Her strength is in her muscles, in being able to get back up, in being here. We have tried to make her swing high, to make her see the sun, to make her evaporate in the air, but that is not her goal. Her back and forth is that she is alive and in the wind. She hasn't told me what she wants to be, what she wants to do, where she wants to go, but she never seems unsure. I hear the creaking of the swing in her silence, followed by the whispers in her voice. I used to fear that she wasn't dreaming, that she wasn't free, that she was bound by all the pain. I used to hope that if she didn't know her future, then she and I would be the same, and I wouldn't be alone. But that wasn't the case. I try to listen to what she says, the plans she journals in her sketchbook. But I know now that those are not my words to see or hear. I like to think now that she keeps her power in her voice. Then she speaks low, and then a shower of drizzle comes down and the earth rumbles. It always rains when she's here, wet and clean and warm. The rain gets more ambitious each time, 
with thunder roaring, the soil bellowing. When it pours, she closes her eyes, smiles, and stretches out her hands like she's gone to a different place. She is not here in spirit, her imagination somewhere else. She has swung just enough for her luminance to grant her mind freedom to travel, and very rarely does she come back to the present, live in this moment. I think her iridescence goes low and travels through her voice, and goes down to her feet and out through her souls and into the earth, where it glows in response, joyful in radiance, filling the soil with fertilization. She throws seeds into the ground every month, like a person feeding breadcrumbs to birds. And days later, plants spring up like little magical things. I think she has her own strength and skill and light, but I don't think it's one to tell. Her disassociation is different. I think her swinging can be what it wants to be, so I will push her no more. I will just be here. I sit next to her, and under my breath, I say to myself, science or social science, art or science. Over my head, I look to the sun, then to the sky, and in my indecision, the whole world around me seems to shrug. Science or social science? My mom came into my room a day ago, suddenly and with force, like the forebearer of bad news. It was just after such a long day of helping Ebuka film dance videos and talk through his future plans, and all I wanted to do next was sleep. Can we talk about this tomorrow? I asked, and she hesitated. I fell into my bed, but she stayed ominously by the door, her hands clutching that form, that form, that life-changing form. Graduation is coming, I hope you know, she said, matter of fact, and I nodded slowly. We both looked at each other, as if processing what that information meant to each other's lives, as though she was trying to determine what type of daughter I would be, based on my choice of career, my lustrous future, her promising retirement from my success. I looked at her, and her expectations of me added to the growing weight of my anxiety my discomfort and indecision, and I sighed in relief as my mother gave off a long, angry grunt and stormed out the door. I like the way the wind catches me when I swing, non-existent hands that almost position me so that I may never fall. On hot Sundays, most of my time with these people is spent in silence until one person speaks. When one person talks, we listen, then we fall in line. Back and forth is how my mind goes, is how our minds go, here and somewhere else. I have not seen the clear image of where exactly I'm supposed to be. I could be anywhere, but my parents say that everywhere is nowhere, and I need a specific place. I don't think I could swing faster than my current pace. I've been moving at this speed since I was six. I've never gone too high because my mother said going high is for hooligans, never gone too far, because my mother said being a magician was of the devil, never tried height and speed altogether. I've been comfortable, too comfortable, and my iridescence has been just enough to heat me up during the Harmattan season, to fill me with more joy than anxiety, more light than darkness. 
My iridescence has just been enough to let me avoid the future, then dream bigger, to see the sun, to do better. Is this enough? Graduation day was today. All around the school, and on the car ride there, my mother swerved in and out of traffic like she was dancing with death. The rush of drivers and hawkers and danfus on a hot Saturday in mid-July overwhelmed me. My time out of junior school all slapped me at once, rushed towards me in ridiculous, unanswerable questions. Had I spent my freedom well, always going at the same pace, always seeing others fly, listening to others' stories? I sat next to my swing buddies, and we lounged out in the sun on dirty plastic chairs while the senior school students rested in cool canopies and fresh wooden seats. The senior school students were full of tears, and we juniors were playing games, cracking jokes, bound to see each other again. Our graduation was rushed and trivialized, done fast and quick to make way for senior students. But I won awards. I won prizes the way rainfall falls onto my fingertips, constantly dripping into my hand before spilling out to the floor. Best student in agric, in English, in mathematics, in business studies. The attention unnerved me. Cameras flashed around me that I tried to avoid. Then sweaty cameramen were even quicker to throw me their bill and ask my mother to pay. My sister's physics teacher said she hoped to see me in science, and I gave a vague answer. My brother's old accounts teacher asked if he would see me in social science, and I just shrugged. The literature teacher told me I would be a valuable asset, and I felt a lump in my throat. When my mother asked for my class decision in the car... I begged her to wait for tomorrow, and my mother locked the doors and screamed at me all the drive home. We are the ones misunderstood, pushed away, broken, bound to go to another place. The ones still pushing, back and forth and over, our hairs flipping, our hearts conflicted. The whole world has shown itself and more, and yet we are still on rusted benches, on creaking chains, on hot Sundays, palms slick with luminance but firm, still swinging once again. Two hours and thirty minutes later, after graduation, at home without light, I biked my way to the park. The gang all had the same idea, and I saw them swinging in their graduation gowns. Funka is different from us today because her outfit is white and red, while ours is blue and black. I wonder if we will still be here, swinging once again in the next three years to come. I fear I will freeze up with college decisions, go abroad, stay home, and then I will never make a decision again. I fear that my friends will pick up and leave once more, forever, and without their lives and their stories, I will be forever in a state of disuse. I fear the future. I don't want tomorrow. Science or art or social science? I ask at the same pace. I want to be sure of my friends' decisions. Science. I want to do astronomy, Miriam says. Art. I might do a business class, but art. Ebuka replies. Science. Botany. Funko whispers. I'll figure it out, huh? I say to myself. And for the first time ever, my pace slows. What should we do this vacation? I ask, mostly to distract myself. Us? I want to start off this holiday in a big way. 
Miriam speaks and others nod, her voice fast over the wind building up around her as she goes higher and higher. This is the start of such a new thing, and we just have three more years to go. It's time to fly while I still can. Before I can even say anything, object to their plans that exclude me, they've already begun moving. Mariam has been building up her iridescence for a month and now swings into the sun again. She lifts up like the storm when the wind rises, glows around her edges, an outline of perfection. She is the rubber band held in one hand and shot across the room. She is the catapult, flung away till she's just a speck in the galaxy, a cloud over Earth. She is the shade, her outstretched body flying in the direction of the sun, covering us from the heat, giving us warmth, giving us light. She is the boomerang, bound to be back again. Ebuka has tumbled and separated, disassociated, and he is Ebuka no more. He is not here, not here, but back again. If there ever existed two planes of existence, he will wave to us from Siberia and smile through white teeth in Fiji and collect once more to be Ebuka again. Funga has filled the sky with rain, the ground tumbling, a plant growing. She too is here no more, and even if I snapped my fingers, I wouldn't reach her. When the rain stops, I may say hello to her in this reality, and she may whisper in response, swinging low to build up luminance once again. I sit next to her while rain goes down on my legs, and into my eyes, and into my hands, like water to drink then out again. Altogether, Miriam's sun shines brighter, glorious and beautiful. Ebuka's wind dances with leaves and dust and dandelions whipping close to me. Funka's rain falls around me, wet and clean and warm, like I am being washed away. Altogether, as one, as nature unknown to each other, my friends have made the world something beautiful, magic, the place I want to live in. Lovin', cryin', my friends, together, creating something amazing, but without me. I am left alone. I am left to wonder, to watch, to listen, to look up. But is that such a bad thing? Where do I fit in? What is the nature of my iridescence? Where does it lie? Where does it go? Where do I break? And I think I've always known all along where I'm meant to be. I am at my current pace, still, though I almost feel slower, like the wind is stopping me. I feel alone, that I will sit here forever in all my indecisions and non-adventures, that I will become a statue of lost time and old years because of what I've heard from my teachers because of what I've been told by my mother, because of what is expected of me. Is this enough? My power still glows, small as it is, but am I doing this right? Is this how I want to live my life, just stuck? I bite my teeth and press my legs together, all through the rain. I pray and pray and pray in my head and hold on tighter to the rusted chain. I shift the weight my butt has made in the swing bench and feel so very different. Then I push myself all the way back, then move forward. I fall, tumbling, face first into land, bruising my knee. 
I curse under my breath. Then I get back up again and back onto the swing. I lift myself, my legs, my breath, then charge into the sky. My heart beats faster when the wind breaks, and I am out of my current pace, out of my comfort zone. I feel a thrill once again, something I've heard in stories but never for myself. My iridescence glows so bright I fear that I will catch a flame. I fear that I will never stop shining, and everyone will notice me, and I'll go too far out my comfort zone, which will make my mother shout at me, but maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's a good thing to steal the spotlight, like my friends do. Maybe it's a good thing to go out of my comfort zone, to swing a different way, to shine. Maybe it's my time now. Maybe. My graduation hat sweeps off into the air and I am launched into the sky, burned into the wind. I go higher than I ever thought possible, and I choose what I've always known. Art. And my swing finally breaks under me. My iridescence can't hold me. Art because there's nothing wrong with my role as a listener, and I can still have power and I can still have a voice. Art, because the world is still a blank canvas for my own stories to tell, my own legacies to keep, now that I'm freed from the comfort holding me. Art, for the histories of me and others and you and the literature of stories. Art, because even though my mother will rage, even though she will cry and ask me why and come knocking on my door and come begging for a reasonable decision for a story that she likes, this is what I want. This what I desire. This is what I need to do to listen to the word of others, to build off it, to build stories. My iridescence leaves me breathless and I don't know where to go. Where am I supposed to be now that I've realized what I want to do. I still don't know so much, like where I will fly off to after secondary school, or what my summer will be like without my friends. So I just fall to the floor, graduation gown caked with mud, and then I just lie there a while, staring at the sky. I see Miriam wave at me from the sun. I wave back. But I don't need to make all my decisions now. I don't need to become a statue of old time and lost years based on all the world needs from me. On the floor and in the rain, I am here, in this moment, and I could never be anywhere else. On this earth, in this city, in this place, where my iridescence lies, where my indecision breaks. I don't need an escape. Back and forth over and through it, once again. This is where I need to be. Welcome back. You've been listening to Janina Edwards performing To Look Forward by Osahan Iseyama. We hope you enjoyed it. If so, please help spread the word by leaving a review or rating at iTunes or the social media venue of your choice. Our editors are Christy Yant and Arlie Sorg, and this podcast is copyright 2020 by Adamant Press. You should be aware that we publish Fantasy, Nightmare, and Lightspeed magazines for free online. Please consider supporting us by visiting fantasy-magazine.com support-subscribe. Skyboat Media 
the most respected independent audio production team on the West Coast, produces the stories for this podcast. They are headed by the Audie and Grammy award-winning narrators Stefan Rutnicki and Gabrielle DeCure. Be sure to check out their website at skyboatmedia.com. Post-production was by Jim Freund, and our music was composed and performed by Jack Kincaid. I'm Jim Freund, promising you a whole new set of fantasies from Fantasy Magazine. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.